Excited to get in the Word with you today. Please open your Bibles to Acts chapter 6. And if you don't have a Bible, there's one in the seat back in front of you, our gift to you. Today we're in the book of Acts, back in Acts, looking at Stephen's life and ministry and how God fills yielded believers with grace and power to serve His purposes. So please stand with me. I'm going to read Acts chapter 6, verses 8 through 15. I'm going to read God's Word. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and of the Cyrenians and the Alexandrians, and of those from Cilicia and Asia, rose up and disputed with Stephen. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Then they secretly instigated men who said, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. And they set up false witnesses who said, This man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and against the law, for we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Lord God, thank you for your word. Thank you that you are here with us. You're present. You are powerful amongst us. I pray, Lord, that you would would open our eyes, open our hearts to, to receive and to see in your word what you want us to see today. Change us by your spirit for your glory. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. What if, because of your godly life in Christ, you are drawn into debate with people opposed to Jesus, and they conspire to frame you for things you did not say or do, and they drag you in front of a huge group of people? What if, because you're yielded to God and you're actively engaged in what pleases Him, bring Him glory, you're falsely accused and harassed and interrogated. What if because you trust in Jesus, you suffer for it? How would it feel? How would you respond? The Bible talks a lot about believers suffering for the gospel. Makes sense. We live in a fallen world amongst fallen people. But we who believe have been rescued from the power and the penalty of sin. One day we'll be rescued from the presence of sin. But we ourselves are tainted by sin. So this calls us to trust in God and not ourselves. Everything that comes our way. Life is full of surprises, all sorts of surprises allowed by God. God brought this, what we see here today, into Stephen's life. God put Stephen there to fulfill his purposes you've got all sorts of things going on there are tough relationships or tricky situations you've got confusing 
things in your life that you do not know how to figure out. Well, today we're looking at Stephen's life and ministry. Acts chapter 6, verses 8 through 15. And we're seeing how God fills yielded believers with grace and power to serve his purposes. First, though, I want to do a review of Acts so far. It's always good to review where we've been. Acts, in a big picture, tells of Christ's continuing work through his witnesses for his sovereign purposes. Key verse is Acts 1.8. Jesus said you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses. Basically, from where you are to the ends of the earth. Another key verse is Acts 13.36, which speaks of David. And it says that when David had served the purposes of God in his generation, he died. That's what we want to do. We want to serve God's purposes in the time in which we live. The book of Acts is foundational. It is transitional. It is narrative history of the church's first 30 years. It is the bridge between the Gospels and the rest of the New Testament. It is a description of Christ's work in and through His witnesses for His purposes. It is about what God did in and through them, but it is not a blueprint. It is not a prescription of how we should do things in the church every day, but there are hints all the way through the book of Acts on what God might want to do in and through His people. You see five big themes in the book of Acts. First and foremost, the risen and returning Lord Jesus Christ. He is the main character in the book of Acts. And you've got the Holy Spirit, also very prominent in the book of Acts. You've got the all-sufficient Word of God that the apostles and the believers are believing and preaching. And God's chosen witnesses. It's Christ's work through His witnesses. And God's sovereign purposes. All the way through the book of Acts, the, the thread runs through that God's purposes are being fulfilled. Jesus is at work in his people now, he's at work in his church now, and he is fulfilling his purposes through his chosen witnesses. Chapter 1 covers the time between Christ's ascension to heaven and the giving of the Spirit, the birth of the church. Christ's witnesses are called and they actively wait in the upper room. They obey Jesus' command uh, to wait until the Holy Spirit comes. They are They're praying together, they're fellowshipping, they're searching the scriptures, seeking the will of God, and as a result, Matthias is chosen to take Judas' place, and the stage is set for Pentecost. Chapter 2, the day of Pentecost, 50 days after the resurrection, the birth of the church, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God indwells believers permanently for salvation, and fills them with ongoing power to serve Him. That's what happens every time a person is converted and brought to faith in Christ. The Spirit was sent, the church was born, and then Peter stands up and boldly and authoritatively preaches the gospel. He explains the phenomena they saw, the language that had been spoken, that these guys had not learned, and explains it by the Word of God. He exalts Christ very clearly. His preaching and the preaching of the book of Acts is all to exalt Christ. That's what my preaching is about. I want to exalt Christ. He, he explains the word, he exalts Christ, and then he exposes the people's sin against God. And then he exhorts them to repent. And 3,000 souls are saved that day. 
The church is born and it's big right away and it continues to grow. And the first church, the believers are continually doing what pleases God. They're attending the temple. The apostles are doing wonders and miracles amongst the people. God is giving the gospel credence through the apostles and people are in awe of God. They're in awe of what God is doing. We need to be in awe of what God is doing. Four passions of a church devoted to Christ are seen in Acts chapter 2. First of all, God's word. God's people are passionate about the word of God, the apostles' teaching. And caring and sharing community, fellowship. And remembering Jesus in the breaking of the bread, communion. We're going to do that tonight. And depending upon God, the prayers. These are things we need to be devoted to. Chapter 3, one of the signs and wonders that God is doing amongst the apostles is now highlighted, the healing at the beautiful gate, and it jumpstarts an intense persecution against the church. But more and more people come to faith in Christ. As the church is persecuted, more and more people are saved. God is validating the gospel message, and they're preaching, and Peter preaches again in Solomon's portico, and he preaches repentance. He preaches faith in Christ and repentance towards God. He says that God wants to turn people from their sins through faith in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's what God's doing today. If you're not a believer, God wants to turn you from your sins, wants you to have faith in Jesus Christ and his finished work on the cross in your place. Chapter 4, they're continuing to preach. Peter says there is no other name given among men by which we must be saved but the name of Jesus Christ now you might wonder someday you might say you know I don't know if Jesus is the only way to heaven you might be a believer and wonder that or you might be a non-believer and say I don't know and the Holy Spirit tells us very clearly there is only one way to heaven there's only one way to God there's only one way to be saved and it's the Lord Jesus Christ and his finished work on the cross and his substitutionary death and his shed blood there is only one way of salvation and the church is preaching and, 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 and they're responding to persecution and they have everything in common and as they, they're sharing this common life together in Christ they are praying to God for boldness to keep preaching the gospel in the midst of the persecution. God answers their prayers. They, they boldly preach the gospel. Acts chapter 5, there are two deaths. The, the deaths of Ananias and Sapphira. God purifies his church. He won't allow sin to infect this fledgling community, this movement. And so there are two noteworthy deaths that put everybody on red alert. God is serious about his holiness. God is serious about the gospel and the word of God. And, and then you see the believers just rejoicing because they're considered worthy to suffer for the name if you're suffering for the name of Christ right now if you're suffering for your gospel testimony rejoice that God considers you worthy to suffer for his name chapter 6 where we're at now we're at now in chapter 6 the challenges increased as the numbers of the church increased and so a complaint arises now we've got thousands upon thousands of people in this church and there's a complaint that the Jewish widows from Gentile lands are being overlooked in the daily serving of food to the widows 
So seven servants are chosen to meet the need. The church makes a wise decision. And in this picture, we see unity of the church. We see leadership knowing their roles and responsibilities. And, and ministry happens. And ministry is blessed. Chapter 6, verse 7 tells us the result of that was the word of God continued to increase. God makes the gospel preaching effective. The disciples multiply greatly. God changes hearts so people come to faith in Christ. And believers are being transformed by the Spirit of God as they receive the Word of God and put it into practice. And that brings us up to our passage for today, Acts 6, 8 through 15. Now, Peter up to this point has been the primary character amongst the apostles and now another important figure is being introduced it's Stephen and after Stephen it will be Philip because Stephen and Philip formed the bridge between Peter and Paul Peter is the prominent figure in the early church in the first chapters of Acts from Acts 13 onward Paul takes it from there and God highlights his work amongst the Gentiles but we're going to see today that God fills yielded believers with grace and power to serve his purposes. God wants to fill your life with grace and power to serve his purposes. Verse 8 tells us that it's Stephen. He's one of the seven servants. A very common Greek name. Stephen means wreath or crown. The winner of a race would be crowned with a stephanos, a wreath of leaves. And Luke is going to devote a chunk of time to the story of this spirit-filled man from chapter 6 verse 8 all the way to chapter 8 verse 2 we see Stephen we see his ministry and his ministry is is opposed he's on trial he has a ready defense from the word of God and then he dies he's killed for his faith in Christ today we're going to look at his ministry being opposed and and on trial next week we'll see his defense and his death but as his ministry is described there are three aspects of Stephen's short life that are revealed. First and foremost, we see it in verse 8, it's his godly life, his character. And then verses 9 through 14, you see his very gracious interactions as he is being basically harassed for his faith. He has courage. And then in verse 15, we see his glorious appearance. He has the face like the face of an angel. So we see his character, we see courage, and we see really his countenance. You know, people uh, usually aren't able to hide how they feel very, very well. Some people really, you know, have a straight face and you don't know if they like you or, or hate you or if they're mad or if they're happy. But, but most people, you look at them and say, wow, you're happy right now. Wow, you're upset right now. And, and you can just tell. Here they look at Stephen and he has got a, 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 the face of an angel. It's, it's mind-blowing, really, uh, what God does here. Now, what you don't see Stephen doing, it's kind of funny, but he was put in charge, of uh, one of the people put in charge of waiting on the tables. You don't see him doing that. What you see Stephen doing is what the apostles were doing. You see him proclaiming the gospel boldly and, and successfully refuting challenges to the gospel. He was fulfilling his responsibility, but God wants us to know about this because it's leading us to something else. See, when you get the story of Stephen, what you see is that Stephen's life greatly impact, impacted Saul's life, Paul's life. Paul was, was impacted by his life and his death. 
You go to the end of Stephen's life and you see that Paul was in hearty agreement with putting him to death. You never see Stephen waiting on tables. You see him boldly proclaiming the gospel and he is a threat to the Jews because he successfully refuted their challenge. And like Jesus, he faced false witnesses whose testimony led to his conviction and his death. Early on, the apostles faced prison and beatings for preaching Jesus as Messiah. And now, persecution is reaching a fever pitch. We're going to see the death of the first Christian martyr. But first, let's look at Stephen's life. Let's look at his godly life, his character. We don't know anything about Stephen until he appears here in Acts. He was probably a Greek-speaking Jewish transplant in Jerusalem whose homeland was elsewhere. Acts chapter 6 verse 3 tells us that all of the seven servants, including Stephen, were believers who were full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. Acts chapter 6 verse 5 tells us Stephen was full of faith and the Holy Spirit. He's now being pointed out as an example because now we're going to hear about his life. But he's full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. He's full of faith and the Holy Spirit. And now in verse 8, we're told that Stephen um, is full of grace and power. Full of grace and power. So he's full of the Holy Spirit, wisdom, faith, grace, and power. What is this describing? These words are describing a mature believer. A mature and maturing believer who continues to experience God's transforming power and the presence of the Holy Spirit in his life. He is full. A lot of people would say, you know, you're a mature believer if you know a lot of Bible verses or if you've led a lot of Bible studies or if you've done a lot of ministry or this and that. And, and here God is saying, you're a mature believer if you're full of God's grace and wisdom and faith and power. Full is a very important word here. It's the Greek word play race. It literally means to be dominated by totally controlled by it means to be yielded and then controlled by led by god so ephesians 5 18 says don't be drunk with wine but be filled with the spirit don't be controlled by a substance you put in your body be filled by god be controlled by him this is this is stephen you want to be you want to be described like this. I want to be described like this. Yielded and controlled by God. Now, you'll talk about someone, and you'll say, they were filled with rage. They were filled with anger. They were filled with love or joy. And what you're saying is, that's the dominating emotion. That's the consuming force. That's the controlling element of their life right then. Well, Stephen was controlled by God's grace and the power of the Holy Spirit. That should be our ambition. He was full. As he trusted God, he was empowered to do what pleases God. He was full of grace. That means he was full of God's enabling help and care. Grace is a gift of the Holy Spirit. Acts 4.33 says that great grace was upon the whole church. God had gifted the church with grace he's enabling them he's caring for them he's helping them and he's full of power that's the result of the presence of god's spirit 
Jesus said in Acts 1.8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, when you're indwelt with the Holy Spirit. Stephen was doing great wonders and miraculous signs among the people. He's full of grace and power. He was baptized in the Spirit at salvation. He's being filled continually by God with power. And it says he was doing great wonders and miraculous signs amongst the people. Interesting thing is Luke doesn't say what those were, what the exact things were that God was enabling. But here's what we know about Stephen. What was he called to do? He was called to take responsibility to to serve the needs of the needy. He was helping distribute food and clothing and and mark this well it took someone full of faith and the holy spirit and wisdom to do that and i'm sure he wasn't just handing out food and clothing but he was interacting with people this is real people ministry and he's talking to people he's hearing their life story he's hearing what they're going through he's hearing the challenges that they're facing So he would be in conversation about their problems, their difficulties, and he's helping believers. And as he's doing this, he would be explaining the Word of God. He would be explaining and affirming God's revelation in Christ. Stephen was controlled by God's grace and the power of the Holy Spirit. He had a godly life. He could be characterized as having a godly character. That's the first thing we see about Stephen. Now, secondly, we see his his gracious interactions. And we see this really in verses 9 through 14. We see his courage. His ministry is being opposed, and he is drawn into a debate about the gospel. What you see is his courageous spirit of Stephen. Verse 9, some of those who belong to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was known as, and the Cyrenians and Alexandrians and those from Cilicia and Asia. So the synagogue of the freedmen. Freedmen is a translation of a Greek word for liberty, which comes from the Latin word for liberty, and it literally means this. Freedmen are freed slaves. Freed slaves. This synagogue was probably consisting of Jews from Rome who were freed from slavery and migrated back to Jerusalem. They started their own synagogue so they could worship God in Greek. After Pompey uh, conquered Jerusalem in 63 BC, there were a lot of Jews that were taken captive and made slaves in Italy. So the synagogue of the freedmen, these freed slaves, and there were other scattered Jews in Jerusalem. Cyrenians, they were from North Africa. And Alexandrians, they're from Egypt. There were other scattered Jews as well. They came from Cilicia. This is in Asia Minor. This is where Paul came from. That's where Tarsus is. Now, a Jewish synagogue is not just a place where they worship, but it was a place of the, 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 the community life uh, uh, had its center in the synagogue. They would eat meals together there. They would discuss issues. They would collect and distribute money for those in need. They would do elementary education of children. They would study the Torah. They would keep the scrolls of Scripture there. And it says that those who belonged to the synagogue, 
rose up against Stephen. They're, they're now opposing Stephen. They're not thinking, oh, this is a good group anymore. They're thinking this is a bad group, and they dispute with him. Now, the first thing we think is, well, this is a big argument, but really what it means is they were questioning together. They were debating. They were trying to disprove the idea that Jesus is Israel's Messiah and Savior. But what we see is that Stephen's argument triumphed over theirs. Stephen won the debate. Now, what you don't see Stephen doing is making it personal, uh, trying to defend himself. He is, he is defending the gospel, and he's reasoning with them. Most likely, this was not you know, a series of heated arguments right away, but discussions, uh, debates that were weighing the pros and cons of the significance of Jesus for the Jewish people. Now, they're opposed to the gospel, but they couldn't, they couldn't oppose Stephen's explanation of the gospel. Verse 10 tells us they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. So Stephen's gospel presentation was, was airtight. God's wisdom trumps human understanding and human reasoning every day. Stephen is debating with wisdom. That's the Greek word Sophia. And the power of the Spirit, they're trying to disprove that believing in Jesus um, as, as the Messiah and the Savior uh, was not good. And, and Stephen wins the debate. But they weren't won over to the gospel at that point. They were not believers, but they were silenced by his presentation. They were left speechless. They couldn't they couldn't disprove the gospel. So what they do? They went at Stephen personally. They went at his words. They went and twisted. You know when someone twists your words, they take what you said and make them something that you weren't meaning? That might happen to you in marriage. That might happen to you in your family. That might happen in friendship. But, but what's happening is they are having this debate really about salvation by grace through faith in Christ. And Ephesians 2.8 is very clear. For by grace you are saved through faith, not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. It's by God's grace. No one can boast about saving themselves. And Stephen in this instance is experiencing fulfillment of Scripture. Jesus said in Luke 21, 15, that he said this to his disciples, you're going to be given words and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. And Stephen is, is experiencing the answers to the prayers of God's people. They prayed in Acts 4, 29 and 30 for boldness to proclaim the word. And here Stephen is being bold in proclaiming the word. God answers the prayers of his people. But we think that, hey, if I share the gospel, people are going to just get saved. People are going to love it. They're, you know, and if I share it really well, like, like Stephen did, and they can't refute it, they'll come to faith in Christ. That's not what happened here. You know, your godly life in Christ and your bold proclamation of the gospel is like a magnet for opposition. So they conspire against Stephen. They frame him to frame up. They, they secretly instigate people who will say this. We heard Stephen say blasphemous words against Moses and God. Not true. And they stirred the people up. 
they stirred up the religious leaders, the elders and the scribes, and they come upon Stephen, and it says they seized him. Literally, that means they violently grabbed him and took him and put him in front of the Sanhedrin. This would be a seated group of the head honchos, and they were in charge, and they were authoritative, and they're now going to question him. So people have secretly instigated lies. They've framed him. They've brought up false accusations. They've seized him violently, and now they're going to interrogate him. Now they're going to question his words and motives. So they set up these false witnesses who say this, this man never stops speaking words against this holy place, the temple, and against the law. And we've heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place, the temple, and change the customs that Moses gave to us. Not true. The Gospel of John, the Holy Spirit had John explain the words of Jesus and their true significance. Jesus said, destroy this temple, and in three days I will rise it up. I will raise it up. Here we are sitting here in 2016. We know what he was talking about. He was talking about his, his death, his burial, his bodily resurrection. But bystanders at that time when Jesus said that thought he meant that he would tear down the temple and in three days put it back together. Now they thought that was ridiculous. Herod the Great had started in 20 BC. And now for some 40 years, the, the, the temple building was going on, restoring the temple... And, and they're saying, Jesus is going to do this in three days? John said, though, very clearly that Jesus spoke of the temple of his body. And we know very clearly this was about Jesus' bodily resurrection. Now, that's a truth we, we should all die for, be willing to die for as Christians. That, that, that the life, the death, the resurrection, the reign, and the return of Christ are things we should die for. Well, Stephen did. Stephen died for that proclamation, for that truth. But we see that he was not making it personal. We see that he kept on point. He was on the gospel. And he had a very, very gracious interaction with this group. Third, I'll show you the third thing. Not just that he had a godly life or godly character, and that he has, you know, really a, a gracious um, courage about him but but he had this appearance where his face looks like an angel he's got this glorious countenance this glorious appearance verse 15 tells us they're they're looking at stephen they're they're gazing at him they're staring at stephen and everyone who sat in the council here they are sitting they're in charge they're they're putting him on trial they see that his face is like the face of an angel what is that about you know, when you see an angel in Scripture, Luke 2.9 tells us when the angel came to the shepherds out on the hills when, to um, announce the birth of Jesus, the angel appeared to them, and it says that the glory of God shone around them. Angels are associated with light. In fact, later on in Acts, in Acts 12.7, you see that. But it says that the response was they were filled with fear. So the glory of God shone around them. The idea of his face being like the face of an angel, you go, what's an angel's face look like? It's the idea of the glory of God, the transcendent glory of God, the Shekinah glory of God, God's presence. 
So here you've got Stephen. He's, he's, he's calm, he's unruffled, he's un, unintimidated by the opponents. He's got composure, and he's reflecting the presence of God. His face was shining like the face of an angel. The members of the Sanhedrin, literally, they see Stephen's face change. Like when someone's you know, ex- expression changes, they see his face change, and it looks like an angel's face, and this is emphasizing the presence and the glory of God. Stephen is filled and controlled by the, the Holy Spirit, and he's about to, to preach. He's going to give a defense, and it's going to be an authoritative witness of God by the Holy Spirit. We know that angels reflect the glory of God. But in case you're starting to wonder, like, hey, I want that kind of face, you're not going to get it. Only two times in Scripture this happened. So if you're thinking, you know, I really want the glowing face like the face of an angel. When people look at me, they just see God's Shekinah glory on me. It's not going to happen, and here's why. There's only one time in the Old Testament that God put his glory on a man's face, and it was Moses' face in Exodus 33. He's coming down off the mountain. He's coming down from God with the tablets and his face is shining and the, he had to actually put a veil over his face so the people wouldn't even see what was fading away that they couldn't even stand the fading glory the only time in the New Testament God puts his glory on someone's face is right here in Acts six fifteen. Stephen's face was shining like Moses' face marked by God's pleasure God was having favor towards him he was he was He was in God's grace and mercy. There was the presence and power of God right there. And they all saw it. Go over to 2 Corinthians 3. Guess who talked about this? The Apostle Paul, who was impacted by Stephen's life and ministry and death. Could be that Paul might have even been in that group that was debating Stephen. But what does he say in 2 Corinthians? He's, he's talking about their, their ministry, 2 Corinthians 3, about their ministry and about how their sufficiency is from God and not themselves. And it says here that if the ministry of death carved in letters on stone came with such glory, we're talking about the law, that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end Will not the ministry of the Spirit, now we're talking about the gospel now, have even more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the law, the ministry of righteousness, the gospel, must far exceed it in glory. In fact, the thing that once had glory has come to no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. This is the glory of God in Christ. This is the glory of God in the gospel. It even says that Moses used to put a veil over his face so the Israelites would not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end, but their minds were hardened, were hardened against God, hardened against the word. And to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, the same veil remains unlifted, get this, because only through Christ is it taken away. To this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, when one turns to Christ by faith, 
the veil is removed that's why you say i was blind but now i see i couldn't understand the gospel before and god has made me alive god has regenerated me god has caused me to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of jesus christ it says when one turns to the lord the veil is removed and it says we all all believers are with unveiled face because we can now see we can see the glory of the gospel we can see the glory of christ beholding the glory of the lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another we're we're in the word we're 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 preaching the gospel to ourselves we are we are thinking about the gospel we are meditating upon the gospel truth and it says that this comes from the lord this is this comes from the spirit it even says over in 2 Corinthians 4, 6, God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Your face isn't going to glow, but you'll see the glory of God in Christ in the gospel. And hopefully others will see that in you. See, they saw Christ in Stephen. Saw the glory of God. You know, it tells us in 2 Corinthians 4 that those who are not believers, you might not be a believer today, that, that you're perishing. And that, that in, in your case, the God of this world, Satan, has blinded your minds to keep you from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And then Paul says, well, that's who we're proclaiming as Lord. That's who Stephen was proclaiming as Lord. That's who you're going to be proclaiming, who you've been proclaiming as Lord if you're a believer. But there was transcendent glory on on Stephen's face. And and you look at the end of his life, go over to Acts 7.55. He looks into heaven and he sees the glory of God. He sees the glory. You know, when you read the word, you want to enter into the emotion of what's going on. I got to tell you, this, this is so packed with emotion, it's just... It's just, it's, it's hard to comprehend in a way because it's just like, it's easy to just read it and go, yeah, that's what happened. But think about it. Stephen here is preaching the gospel. He doesn't make it personal when he gets opposed. He's preaching the gospel and, and then they're gonna, they're, gonna have him, they're gonna have him talk. In fact, you look over at um, Acts chapter seven, verse one. The high priest says to him, are these things so? Are the things that were just said about you true? And then Stephen gives a really, really long answer. We'll look at that next week. <laughs> it's a really long answer. It's an awesome answer. He takes the whole sweeping view of the Old Testament and shows the glory of God in Christ through that story. It's beautiful. But he's going to die for his faith. He's going to be the first Christian martyr. Here is one of the most notable Christians ever. He lived a short, relatively short life. He could say it as well with my soul. He could say I have peace with God through my Lord Jesus Christ. It was the power and the presence of God in him. You know what God was doing? That's what the psalmist says in Psalm 23. He was preparing a table for Stephen in the presence of his enemies. He was preparing this, this lavish table for Stephen in the presence of his enemies. Stephen was, was seeing the glory of God because he was going to be in, in the presence of God immediately after he, got, after he died. Let me say this about you if you're a Christian. 
Christ in your yielded life shines brighter than the darkest sin. Christ in your yielded life shines brighter than the deeds of darkness. You should be praying that the gospel would shine brightly through your life. For that to happen, you gotta be like Stephen looking to Jesus. You gotta be believing in Jesus. You gotta be focused on Jesus. You gotta be about what matters to God. Your, your life's gotta be filled because God fills yielded believers with grace and power to serve his purposes. It's what we see in Stephen's life. So if you're a Christian, the question is, what's your life filled with? What are you controlled by? Are you filled with some substance? Are you filled with some sin? We're all going to be laid low by that. We're going to say, wow, you know what I did last week? You know what I thought about last week? You know what I exposed myself to last week? You know what I took into my life last week? You know the garbage that I brought into my life right next to the Word of God? I asked myself this question this week. How is it? that I can be exposed so often to the word of God and not experience deep abiding heart and life change. It's because we deceive ourselves. We say, well, I got Bible knowledge. That's not enough. We saw this last week. You gotta hear and do the word every day. Multiple times a day. On God's word, you should meditate day and night. Joshua 1.8 says, we deceive ourselves. Don't stop hearing the word, but you gotta start doing what it says in Christ's strength. There are people that say, you know, I've read the Bible so many times, and you can look at them and say, really? Wow, you're, you're a sour person, or wow, you're a really negative person, or wow, you always judge everybody, or wow, you're never happy. And you're reading the Bible? What's going on? You're deceived. You're deceived. We gotta clearly point ourselves to Jesus every day, let me speak to you if you're, not, if you're not a Christian. Don't be on the wrong side of this story. Don't be on the wrong side of the glory of God. The Lord Jesus Christ is very clearly revealed in Scripture. He died a substitutionary death in shedding His blood on the cross in place of lost sinners so that all who believe in Him would be saved and live forever with Him. That's the Savior I'm talking about. Amidst the multitude of sins in your life, Christ's blood is absolutely effective to forgive you to cleanse you and to transform you by God's mercy and grace if you would only look upon the only Savior if you'd only believe in the Lord Jesus for salvation 1 John 4 10 tells us in this is love you, oh, everyone's like what's love you know what's this how do I know about if someone really loves me or not well here's love that, not that we loved God but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins, to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins, to be the mercy extended by God towards us. Let me talk again to the Christians. If, you're, if you've got a ministry, you got any kind of service you do? Any kind of ministry? If not, you've got to find one. You're gifted by God. You need a ministry. Some kind of ministry, organic, organized, just get into something. But is it gracious? Is it gracious? Or is it contentious? Do you always take it personally? It always gets into an argument. Or can you debate graciously? Can you, can you be opposed and be gracious? And, and now, I just in the last couple minutes, I want to talk about your face. I want to talk about your face. You all got beautiful faces in the eyes of God. 
Your face. I want to talk about your face. What we're talking about is the reflection of Christ in you. The, reflect, the beautiful reflection of Christ in a believer. Some of you might say, well, I, I can't go there right now because I need comfort. I'm going through a deep trial, and I get it. So here, do what Stephen did. He prayed to the Lord Jesus when he was in his trial. He even said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Lord Jesus, don't hold this against them. He's like echoing Jesus' words from the cross. So if you're a believer and you're in the trial, he's with you in the trial. Jesus is with you in the trial. Do you know that? Jesus is with you in the trial. So you can cast all your cares upon him because why? He cares for you. So like Stephen, you gotta trust God to make sense of everything you go through and what you're going through and prepare you for what's to come. Because none of us knows what's next. And I really wanna give you something to do immediately but I'm constrained by this. I can't tell you exactly what you should do because God needs to lead you into that. The Holy Spirit needs to lead you into that. I can tell you, though, what kind of mindset, what kind of heart attitude you need to have. You need to yield to God. We are all about being autonomous so often. We're like, don't control me. You know, people are around you, they're trying to control me all the time. Well, God wants to control you in the best possible way. Yield to God. He wants to control you. You talk about maturity in Christ, again, it's not going to be if you know a lot of Bible verses or if you've led a lot of Bible studies or if you've done a lot of ministry. It's going to be, is there godly character in your life coming out of your life and, and are you courageously gracious in your proclamation of the gospel and, and, and what's your face look like? Like, could people see Christ in you? Like they saw in Stephen. You know what Stephen was concerned about? What God's concerned about. He's, he's concerned about souls. Souls. He wasn't wasting his time doing something else. He wasn't, he was at his post. He was fulfilling the calling God put on his life. His relatively short life. One of the greatest Christians ever and the first one to lose his life for Christ. So Christian, lead, yield everything to God. Lead every, yield everything to Christ. Don't count your life precious. Count it expendable. Jesus said the one who saves his life will lose it. The one who loses his life for my sake will find it. See, God wants you to be personally concerned with what concerns him. And it's very clear. Like, I know God cares about every single detail in our life. I know he cares if you're going bald or if you're gaining too much weight or if you're losing too much weight or if people don't treat you right or if your job's not going well and all these things. God cares about every one of those things. But I guess I would just say that he doesn't care hugely about all the things that you stress out about on a daily basis. Your feelings, your comfort, your safety level, and your looks. The Bible tells me that God cares more about my character, my courageous proclamation of the gospel. And he cares more that if, G, if people can clearly see Jesus in my life, they can catch a glimpse of the reflection of the glory of God in my life. If they can cap, catch a, a, 
a, just a shadow of the glory of the gospel in my life. And Stephen didn't make any of it happen. We think we have to run out and go do something really bold and, and courageous and noble that people would say, wow, you did a great job. But Stephen's maturity and his boldness and his, and his, and his countenance was God-given. Let me close with this. The worship team's gonna come up. I just wanna share a quote with you from John Owen. I, I'm really loving reading John Owen and his book, The Glory of Christ, right now. Here's what he said. We need to think much about Jesus if we wish to enjoy him fully. If we are satisfied with vague ideas about him, we shall find no transforming power communicated to us. But when we cling wholeheartedly to him and our minds are filled with thoughts of him and we constantly delight ourselves in him, then spiritual power will flow from him to purify our hearts and increase our holiness and strengthen us and sometimes fill us with what 1 Peter 1.8 says, joy inexpressible and full of glory. And Lord God, thank you that as believers we can pray in, in joyful faith that our faith has found a resting place in Christ. Not in our doing, but in his. That his wounds plead for us and so we need, we need no other argument, we, we make no other plea, but that Jesus died and he died for me. And so we, we, we yield our lives to you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.